0: Are you blessed to know Jesus? Yeah, I tell you. uh, There are a lot of things going on in this world that remind me that um, without Jesus, what would we have? You know, what would we really have? Um, there are a lot of things to be thankful for, too. And I know that today is Veterans Day. I think it's today, right? Am I right? Yeah, November 11. And so I want to just um, give a shout out, not, not in any casual sense, but just really recognize the sacrifice and service of so many. And maybe, um, maybe you have served. Maybe you have family members who have served. Uh, maybe you have families who are serving. And uh, we just want to praise the Lord for, for those men and women who have really given their, their life um, to live a life of courage and service. So thank you, thank you to the... Actually, can I just um, acknowledge our veterans here and, and just go ahead and stand? And uh, we can thank you personally and visibly. Yes, awesome. Right on. <laughs> yeah, Yeah, and really, you know, a, a short word and a short applause doesn't, doesn't do justice to the kind of sacrifices that you guys have made. So thank you so much for that. Um, a lot of things to be thankful for. Also um like has already been mentioned there is a new baby among us it was just seven days ago that we were wondering crossing our fingers you know all those kinds of things and praying for justin and Sally. and so congratulations to you guys i thought about putting up a picture but then i saw you guys and i didn't this is this is much better in person um, you know, one thing I do want to make mention of, and it is in your bulletin. Um, I forgot to share this with Andy, so I'll just share this with you guys. There's actually a 5k fundraiser for our friend Kevin Nye. Um, for those of you who know, uh, back in June, Kevin suffered a motorcycle accident and, um, uh, lost, uh, lost mobility in his limbs. And so, um, <clears throat> You know, praise the Lord through rehab and uh, just a lot of different things that he's gone through. He's got some mobility in his upper extremities and he's still working on being able to stand so that he can be able to walk. That's his goal. That's his goal. So I want to like solicit your our prayers unitedly to really pray that god would enable him uh, because nothing is impossible with our god but tomorrow um, his co-workers have actually organized uh, a 5k fun run kind of thing um, out by porter hospital which is in denver it'll run through harvard park if you know where that is and stuff so anyways if you're uh, up bright and early at 8 a.m in the morning you want to walk you want to stroll you want to run that's that's where that will be there's information in the bulletins if you haven't gotten that Anyways, all right, I'm excited to get into part two of our series, Daniel. um, Daniel is someone that I grew up singing about. I don't know about you guys, but uh, he was someone that I I grew up kind of, um, you know, almost putting on this pedestal of, wow, he is a hero beyond heroes. And Rick already mentioned him earlier this morning. You know, he stood in a den of lions for an entire night, and God shut the lions' mouths. Daniel was someone who lived faithfully. Um, To put it, you know, in one word, Daniel was a faithful man. He knew what it was like to live faithful, and not just to live faithful in a, in a, a positive environment, but to live faithful in a fallen land. And today, you know, we, we, we recognize that we are living in a fallen land. You know, just reading a little bit about, um, you know, what took place in Sutherland Springs, Texas. You know, if you read about that, if you saw any of that, I mean, it was it was a church gathering, you know, and this It was almost like a repeat of Charleston um, from like more than a year ago. And I just uh, praise the Lord that, you know, we have space to to be able to gather together, but we can't take anything for granted. You know, Um, I want to claim the promise of the Psalms that says that the angel of the Lord encamps around those that fear him. And so today, whatever tragedies may come our way, we know that God is with us. Uh, we're in a fallen land, but how do we stand faithful in a fallen land where, where our faithfulness is constantly put to the test? You know, last week we talked about Daniel. At the end of his life, in Daniel chapter 6, we see how, you know, he's an aged man by that time, but he is still standing faithful. When the law is given that uh, only for 30 days, you know, you should only pray to no other god except the king, Daniel, Daniel stood faithful in the midst of that. Even when laws kind of swayed the other way. In Daniel, we saw that his faithfulness, his, uh, what we, what, how do we say it? His heroic faithfulness stemmed from his habitual communion with God. That's what we saw. And um, really, I want us to think about this for the entire month. What are the habits that I can be cultivating now that will enable me to stand faithful, not just today when it's easy, but someday when it's not so easy? You know, I mean, maybe today is not easy for you to stand faithful. Maybe you're in environments every single day. Um, Maybe you're in relationships where it makes it difficult for you to stand faithful to your principles, to your moral values, to the the compass that God has put in your heart. But, But how do we cultivate those habits today? That's what we're looking at. Last week we saw it's that habitual communion, you know if if it's if it's a if it's something that daniel experienced and that I want to experience that too and today we're going to take a look at daniel chapter 5 daniel chapter 4 and we're going to see actually uh, we're going to learn about faithfulness from people's example of unfaithfulness. Have you ever learned from someone else's mistakes? That's the advantage of being the youngest in the family. I don't know if, if anybody can relate, <laughs> but I had two older siblings and I saw how mom and dad reacted to those steps and those decisions and I decided to do things a little bit differently at times. But anyway, so as, as we look at the example of some people who are unfaithful, I think God will show us what it's like to be faithful. Um, And so we're going to take a look. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Daniel chapter 5. We're going in reverse order. I don't know if you've noticed that, or I don't know if you've been bugged by that. But we're kind of walking backwards from Daniel 6, now 5, and then 4. And then uh, next week, Edrey will talk us through Daniel 3, and then 2, and 1 for the following week. So, um, I don't know, you can ask me if there's a rhyme or reason for that. I just kind of wanted to do things a little different. Anyways, okay, so Daniel chapter 5. Before we dig in, uh, let's, let's bow our heads for a prayer. Father in heaven, we're asking that as we dive into the word, that you would give us not just more information, but that you would give us transformation. And Jesus prayed, just before he was arrested and crucified, he prayed, God, for his disciples, and he said, sanctify them through thy truth. Your word is truth. God, we pray that the prayer of Jesus would be answered today, that we would be sanctified by this word of truth today. God, please open up our hearts, open up our eyes, our ears, not just to hear what we're talking about today, but to hear what the impressions of the Holy Spirit are upon our hearts through this word. We're asking that you would lead in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen. Amen. All right, here we go. Daniel chapter 5. Daniel is in the Old Testament. It's a little bit more than halfway through. If you've found Daniel 5, go ahead and say amen. 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 All right, so we're going to hear two examples of unfaithfulness. It's the tale of two kings. All right, Daniel chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. We're still kind of in the context of Babylon's reign. Okay. Babylon has not yet fallen. Actually, by the end of chapter 5, Babylon is taken over by Persia. So, I'm beginning in chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. Now, this verse might seem like, okay, this king just wants to have some fun. Uh, The king actually wants to have lots of fun. There's a lot of people there. But uh, what you don't know until the very end of the chapter, and I'll just fill you in, is that right now, Babylon is being sieged by cyrus and his armies and the king of babylon is saying they're out there we're fine right here let's party hard that's that's what's going on when daniel 5 verse 1 says hey Belshazzar, the king made a great feast he made a feast in the midst of great um threat and so he's arrogantly saying ah I could care less, okay? So let's keep reading. Verse 2. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels, which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem. Now, that word father, it's it's kind of a a generic term. It's his ancestor, Nebuchadnezzar, probably his grandfather. So at the time, Belshazzar is king. He's actually a co-king with his father, Nabonidus and Nebuchadnezzar is, is somewhere in his lineage, okay? And so, um, so he's, he's saying, hey, let's bring out the gold and silver vessels which my granddaddy Nebuchadnezzar brought from Jerusalem. Hey, what, what, what's the point of this? It says, uh, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might do what from them? might drink from them all right now this is like this isn't just a relic of just kind of saying hey this was sacred stuff let's respect and honor the god of these people that are in our land no 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 no. this is this is not just this is a blatant thumbing of the nose to god saying hey uh, what you think is sacred is not sacred to me in fact they're my party toys all right And in verse 3, it says, Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king, his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. So there's kind of an escalating effect of rebellion and just blatant, I don't care, right? In verse 1, he doesn't care that he's being sieged. In verse 2, the sacred things aren't so sacred. And then in verse 3, he takes those sacred things and praises the very opposite. You see the the escalation there? And in the same hour, verse 5, "...in the same hour the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace." And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Now, this is where the story gets a little bit creepy, right? <laughs> I mean, just, just imagine this. You're having a good time, uh, or at least ne- uh, Belshazzar is have, uh, having a supposedly good time. And there's this interruption to the party. The DJ's music, you know, stops, cups fall. Everybody's looking to this wall where they can't explain, but their fingers writing on the wall. You've heard the expression, the writing on the wall, right? It's the end of the story. And in verse 6, it says, Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled them. Or excuse me, his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened, and his knees knocked against each other. woo Okay. (laughs) So here's Belshazzar, the total opposite of faithful living, right? He's totally not being faithful to God even though he thinks arrogantly he can do just what he wants, by the time he gets face-to-face with something that is outside of his power, he loses it. Uh, I just love how the, uh, the New King James just kind of puts it, so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. This is a graphic portrayal of his false sense of security. Maybe some of you can resonate with this. When you were living your your life, maybe prior to knowing Jesus or prior to being fully committed to Jesus. Maybe you remember what it was like to feel like you were all under control, but then being brought face to face with something that was not in your control. And this is what Belshazzar is going through. He's like, uh, I can't handle this. <laughs> I'm literally falling apart. And I feel like Isaiah, even in, in Isaiah chapter 6, when he sees God face to face, I mean, he's a prophet. He's serving God, and yet when he himself sees God face to face, he says, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm falling apart in the presence of God. We may feel like we've got it together. We may even be doing things where it looks like we've got it together. But really, before the Creator God, do we have anything together? No, nothing apart from Him, nothing apart from Him. And so what Belshazzar does in the rest of this narrative, he, he, he uh, kind of does a Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? He says, okay, I have no idea what that's all about. There's some words up there. Um, so let's call all the counselors. Let's call all the magicians. Let's get everybody who can say something about this together. And no one can give the king any, any clarity about this. But then there's a the voice of reason. Skip on down in the chapter. There's the voice of reason. And it's in verse 10. It says, the queen. Okay. Maybe your Bible says the queen mother. <laughs> it's, the Neb- uh, it's the voice of probably Nebuchadnezzar's, one of Nebuchadnezzar's wives, probably. Um, it's the voice of someone who has been around. It's the voice of reason. It says in verse 10, The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. Why? Verse 11. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of who? Of the Holy God. Who is she talking about? She's talking about Daniel. She's talking about Daniel. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar made your excuse me, and King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. So she's saying, hey, remember this guy? Remember, hey, let's, let's call him to, to, to see what he has to say about all of this. Verse 13, Daniel was brought in before the king. And the king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? Do you notice how Belshazzar is kind of trying to put Daniel in his place a little bit? You know, Queen Mother says, hey, this guy was put in charge of all the magicians and astrologers. And the thing that he references is, hey, weren't you one of those captives whose homeland was destroyed? You know, again, his arrogance is still kind of oozing from (laughs) everything that he does. And here Daniel brings it straight to the king. He speaks it plainly, nothing held back even though he's being offered these riches. I I didn't read that part, but uh, Belshazzar was so desperate to to get people to interpret the writing on the wall that he offered gold, he offered riches, he offered the third position in the rulership of the kingdom and all these things. And Daniel says, I'll I'll tell you all these things, but keep your riches to yourself. And in verse 17... He says, let your gifts be for yourself. Give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. But before he does, he doesn't give the interpretation until verse 25. Before he gets to verse 25, he preaches a sermon straight to Belshazzar. (laughs) He says, Belshazzar, bro, you've seen some things in your life and you're totally ignoring them. Remember your father, your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. He had some things going on, and we'll read about it here in just a little bit in chapter 4. He was humbled before the living God. And here you are doing the exact opposite. I want to skip down to verse 22, because I think this is the key of unfaithfulness, okay? Daniel 5, verse 22, the Bible says, But you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. If you're wondering what unfaithfulness is, I think it starts right here. You did not humble your heart, even though you knew all of this. All of this. You see, the bottom line behind un, uh, Belsh- Belshazzar's unfaithfulness is that he was consciously prideful. He resisted humility before God, and he resisted everything that his past experience had revealed about God. In other words, his unfaithfulness came from a rejection of humility and accountability. His unfaithfulness came from a rejection of humility and accountability. So I would say this that if we're trying to figure out, okay, so then what does faithfulness look like in a fallen land? Faithfulness looks like humility and accountability. Faithfulness, essentially, I think we put it here on the screen. Um, Let's see. Oh man, <laughs> let me let me read this. This uh, this is from the Common English Bible. This is uh, chapter five, verse twenty-three. Instead, you've set yourself up against the Lord of Heaven. You didn't glorify the true God, who holds your very breath in His hand, and who owns every road you take. He he refused to humble his heart to live in the light of who God is. He's the God who holds my very breath. He's the God who owns every road that I take. Belshazzar refused that he rejected that he was prideful and he wasn't humble and I would say that he 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 refused accountability he refused a humility that says okay if God is that then I'm going to live in accordance to his will he refused to glorify him and so the faithful life the faithful life essentially is the very opposite the faithful life is humble before God and accountable to God you follow that? The faithful life, it starts with being humble before God and accountable to God. It's not the kind of humility that just says, God, you're awesome. God, you made everything, and I am nothing, and then does his, his or her own thing, right? That's not true humility. That's lip service. Do you follow what I'm saying? True humility, can't, it, it has to go hand in hand with accountability. It has to. And, and I would say the opposite. Like, we try to live accountable to God, but if we think we're all that, then... We have no desire, we have no ability to live accountable to God. Humility and accountability, we can't really claim those things apart from each other. And Nebuchadnezzar's life reveals the very same thing. Uh, go ahead and flip back to Daniel chapter 4. In Daniel chapter 4, we see Nebuchadnezzar, this is Belshazzar's uh, grandfather, presumably. Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4, he, he's had opportunities to experience humility. <laughs> He's had opportunities to experience accountability to God. Um, but here in chapter 4, actually this is the only chapter in all of Scripture that is written by a non-Hebrew, okay? a non-Jew. Because this is Nebuchadnezzar himself writing. He's giving his own personal testimony. It's actually pretty cool. And so it says in uh, verse 3, I'm sorry, verse 4, he recounts his story, his experience. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, so this is Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. All right, this kind of, kind of sounds familiar. It sounds like chapter 2 where Daniel, or Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of a metal statue. But this is a different dream. So what does he dream? It says, therefore, oh, let's see here. He actually gets down into the dream in verse 10. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. And he's telling this dream to to Daniel, who in this chapter he calls Belteshazzar. He says in verse 10, I was looking and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Good dream so far, yeah? Especially if you're a tree climber. Uh, if you like tree, tree houses and things. I mean, this is, a, this is an awesome tree. Um, <clears throat> but the dream takes a turn. It says, I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed. And there was a watcher this is verse 13 a holy one coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit, let the beast get out from under it and the birds from its branches, nevertheless leave the stump and roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth let his ma- let his heart be changed from that of a man let him be given the heart of a what of a beast and let seven times pass over him all right for those of you who haven't heard this story before or heard this dream this is this is pretty incredible God is giving a, 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 foreign, a pagan king another dream about the future. Okay, this is the second time over. And as, Bel, as Daniel is listening to this dream of Nebuchadnezzar, he his countenance changes this time. It says in Daniel chapter 4, and verse 19, it says, Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. And the king could see it. The king could read his body language. And so the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. Why? Why? Because the dream of this great, glorious tree that was eventually cut down was about Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel shared, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, that, that tree is you. You you've you've you know you've done so much. You're so many people d- depend upon you. You're prolific, your kingdom stretches, your reign, your influence is huge. But you need to be chopped down. And a band of iron around you, the dew of heaven is gonna wet your hair, the heart of a beast is gonna be given to you. And then notice what Daniel says, I think it's in verse 27 Therefore, O king. Let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. What do you think? If you were to hear something like that, if you were to hear a dream about you, specifically about you being chopped down, how would you respond? Would you get your house in order? Would you put things together? I mean, like, yeah, how would it be for you? Nebuchadnezzar apparently heard this, probably nodded his head, but soon forgot it. Because it says in verse 28 All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Wow. Right? I mean, he's just kind of flaunting and, and being so arrogant about the things that he, supposedly he, has done. Again, the very same thing that we saw in his grandson Belshazzar, Belshazzar is, is what we're seeing in Nebuchadnezzar. He's not being humble before God. He's not being accountable to God. Again, there's no humility there's no accountability. And maybe, maybe you're, you're the compassionate kind that just says, hey, hey, you know, this is a pagan king. He didn't grow up with Pathfinders. He didn't grow up with Sabbath school, all these kinds of things. He didn't grow up knowing better. Can't can, can God cut him some slack? And here's what I would say. There was light that was given to Nebuchadnezzar. God, this is the, again, this is the second dream that God has communicated with Nebuchadnezzar about. In chapter 2, God gave Nebuchadnezzar an experience where, you know, that, that dream that, uh, that he had, it was interpreted for him by Daniel, and he realized, okay, he is the head of gold, but he's not the end, okay? He realized, okay, okay it, it, there is a kingdom that does last forever, and it's not mine. That's what the dream was communicating to, Daniel, or to Nebuchadnezzar. And I think God was trying to invite him into the everlasting kingdom, I mean, he had the experience also of Daniel chapter three, and this is what we'll talk about next week. Um, But in chapter three, you know, he makes a a statue, but it's all gold. It's not gold, silver, bronze, you know, (laughs) it's all gold as though Nebuchadnezzar is trying to make sure that his kingdom really does last forever. And yet again, even in that story, there's this revelation. Okay, there is a God and I'm not him. In fact, in my devotions this week, I was reading through some of the Old Testament prophets. And in Ezekiel chapter 31, actually, can you turn there with me? This is incredible. I didn't realize this before. Ezekiel chapter 31, there was actually another kingdom that was depicted as a tree. Ezekiel chapter 30. So hopefully you have a bookmark in Daniel 6. But in Ezekiel 31, Ezekiel 31, there is a prophecy that Ezekiel is spoken, or speaking, to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. In verse 2, it says, Son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitude. Sorry, are, are we still there, or there? So Ezekiel is right before Daniel. Ezekiel 31, verse 2. This is a message for Pharaoh, king of what? King of Egypt. Okay, this is another country. It says, Whom are you like in your what? In your greatness, okay? So Pharaoh probably thinks a lot of himself too. And then in verse 3, the prophet is comparing or bringing up the memory of another kingdom. He says, Indeed, Assyria was a what? A cedar in Lebanon with fine branches that shaded the forest and of high stature. Its top was among the thick boughs. The waters made it grow. Underground waters gave it height with their rivers running around the place where it was planted and sent out rivulets to all the trees of the field. Nice vision so far, right? (laughs) Beautiful tree, lots of water, things like that. It's just very pleasant. But what Ezekiel is trying to tell Pharaoh king of Egypt is, hey, that kingdom was really great, that king Assyria, by the way, Assyria was the kingdom that took Israel captive. Babylon was the kingdom that took Judah captive about sixty seventy years later, okay so Nebuchadnezzar probably had this history in his mind. Hey, there was another kingdom that took half of god 's people away. I can do that too, all right but but God is saying, no, 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 this tree, Assyria, it was great, um, but down in verse. Ten. Therefore, thus says the Lord, because you have increased in height and set its top among the thick boughs and its heart was lifted up in its height, therefore I will deliver it into the hand of the mighty one of the nations and he shall surely deal with it. I have driven it out for its what? Its wickedness. Okay. So Assyria was basically cut down because of its wickedness. It was used by God to, you know, to to bring captive uh, Israel. But notice in verse 13, on its ruin will remain all the birds of the heavens and all the beasts of the field will come to its branches. And then this verse, what's the point? What's the purpose of all this? Verse 14, so that no trees by the waters may ever again do what? Do you see what's going on? Ezekiel is saying, hey, this history of Assyria, of being cut down, it's so that other kingdoms can recognize that they ought not to stretch up and say, I'm all that. Verse 14, so that no trees by the waters may ever exalt themselves again. Back to Daniel 4. In Daniel 4, when we look at Nebuchadnezzar and we say, oh man, he didn't know any better. He did. (laughs) He really did. When he saw this tree, he ought to have immediately, I mean, okay, there was no Facebook, there was no Instagram. It's not like news got around like that. But there was evidence that Nebuchadnezzar saw the history of these kings. And Nebuchadnezzar still refused to be humble and accountable to God. Friends, if we're, we're wanting to cultivate faithfulness that is the opposite of these two kings, Belshazzar and his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar, it starts with being humble before God and accountable to God. Are there things that God has revealed to you that you know you need to put into your life or to apply to walk in that you've just kind of said, you know what, that's a nice idea. I'll get around to it. Anybody? Maybe I'm the only one. Are there things that you, you realize, okay, God is opening up a door for this. I need to walk through it. And instead, you just kind of sat on your hands about it. Things that maybe you realize that God wants you to do, but because of your pride, whether or not you've said so, it's because of your pride that you would rather do this than God's will. If we want to live faithful Someday, it starts with being faithful today. Being humble before God and accountable to God. All right. So we've focused on the example of unfaithfulness, but what about Daniel in all of this? Daniel expresses an example of faithfulness in all of this too. And I think the, the outstanding thing, or at least the thing that stands out to me, is in both chapters and before both kings, he has no trouble speaking the plain truth. You follow that? In both of these experiences, he has a track record of giving voice to the truth. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar noticed that he, he wanted, Hey, Daniel, don't let this trouble you. Don't hold back. I know that you've, you've talked with me about things before. He has a track record of speaking truth. And you know, sometimes speaking truth can be a very delicate matter, right? <laughs> Have you tried? Hey, does this look good on me? Yeah. Um, I love those colors, you know? (laughs) No. I mean, speaking truth can be a very delicate matter. Why? Why? Because sometimes we don't know how that truth is going to be taken, right? And sometimes we don't know. We we perceive consequences out of that truth. Whether they're real or apparent, we perceive consequences of sharing truth. But apparently Daniel doesn't seem to be concerned. (laughs) Daniel doesn't seem... Or if he is concerned... He's leaving those consequences up to God. Especially when he knows that the truth is coming from God. I mean, these are situations where he wasn't just saying, okay, this is my opinion about this. No. These are situations where it's a plain revelation from God and he is communicating what God has revealed. Sometimes it's hard to communicate truth to people when we know that they're living a life that is completely opposite. But friends... We, we, we can leave those consequences up to God. When God gives us an opportunity, I think we can leave those consequences up to God. When we look at Daniel's example of, of speaking truth, flip back to Daniel 5. In Daniel 5, um, verse 17, <clears throat> notice how he goes about it. He doesn't even hesitate, it seems. It's not like he gives it a second thought. But I, I, I love here in verse 17, it says, Then Daniel answered, this is chapter 5, verse 17, this is now before Belshazzar when he's trying to figure out the writing on the wall. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. When Daniel has the opportunity to speak truth, he is not motivated by material rewards. In other words, he's not in it for what he's going to get. Okay? And he doesn't hold back the truth for what he might not get. Do you follow? I mean, Daniel is, is just true and steady like a needle to the pole. His faithfulness to speak truth isn't motivated by or discouraged by the material rewards or consequences. And so faithful living really requires speaking the truth. Faithful living, I'll say this, faithful living requires speaking the truth um, whether or not I get anything out of the deal. Whether it's advantages whether it's approval, whether it's applause from others. We can speak the truth no matter what we get or don't get out of the deal. And in chapter 4, when he addresses Nebuchadnezzar, again, he's speaking truth to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 4, flip back there. In Daniel 4, verse, what is it? uh, In verse 9, this is what he's known for. This is his track record. In verse 9, it says, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen. He's speaking truth. This is what Nebuchadnezzar knows him for. And this is what he encourages him to do. Don't hold back, Nebuch- or Belteshazzar. Don't hold back, Daniel. I know that God is speaking through you. So please allow him to. Speaking truth can be delicate, but in this case, Daniel isn't worried about the consequences. Daniel isn't worried about what he might or might not get. What he is concerned about is the motive. And sometimes we have a hard time. Sometimes we have a hard time speaking truth, not because of the consequences, but because we need to check our motives. Um, Daniel, he wasn't motivated by anything less than the king's salvation. Did you notice that? By the end of the interpretation, he didn't just say, ha, ha, you're going to be chopped to the ground. No, no, no. That's not what Daniel says. In verse 27, he says, Therefore, let my advice to you be, break off your sins. Be righteous. Be, leave your iniquities. Show mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of the days. In other words, Daniel is concerned about Nebuchadnezzar's repentance, about his salvation. When we speak truth to people, sometimes we need to check our motives. Sometimes we, you know, we've talked about this before. Uh, Sometimes we speak the truth to cut people down. Sometimes we speak truth to stick it out or to stick it to those who who deserve it, so to speak. But that's not what Daniel is after. Daniel speaks the truth in love, like genuinely in love. He wants the best for Nebuchadnezzar. And I really believe that this is the heart of God in all of these things. I mean, you might look at these, these things like, oh, man. God just kind of like lays the smack down on Belshazzar. Man, God is like totally like bullying Nebuchadnezzar around. No, no, no. That's not what God is doing. He's communicating. God didn't have to communicate through a dream. God didn't have to show writing on the wall. God didn't have to give generations of experience before that Belshazzar could have learned from or that Nebuchadnezzar could have learned from. God didn't have to, but he's communicating all of this. Not in a way to kind of... uh, push his divine power around. No, but he's communicating all of this because he longs for our repentance. When we refuse to be humble, when we refuse to be accountable, it's not like God just gets up and like this big patrol officer and says, no, 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 no. you're going to get a ticket for that. <laughs> no, he wants our redemption. I love this. In Jeremiah 51 verse 9, I just read this this morning. It says, this is actually a prophecy about Babylon. And it says, we would have healed Babylon, but she cannot be healed. This is the heart of God towards Babylon. You know, physical Babylon. And I would say end time Babylon. When you look in Revelation, you say, oh man, Babylon is causing all this confusion amongst God's people. Let's get rid of ba-. God longs for the healing and re- redemption of Babylon. But Babylon cannot be healed. Will not be healed is another way that that is rendered. She refuses to be healed. I mean, you saw it, Nebuchadnezzar Here's this dream. I'm going to be chopped down. I can break off my sins, but let me walk on my roof and say, oh, this is is the great kingdom that I've made. No, okay. So so there's there's something about the pride that that there's this point of no return for Babylon. And yet God longs, God longs for its salvation. When we have the opportunities to speak truth, what are our motives? Are we speaking truth in spite? (laughs) Are we speaking truth... You know, to, to kind of get the better of people, to sour other people's days? Or are we speaking the truth in love, out of genuine interest in another person's salvation? I think Paul exemplified this, you know, as he's writing epistle after epistle, as he's preaching the gospel from city to city. One of the examples he says in Acts chapter 20, I think, when he's meeting with the Ephesian elders, he says, I have not held back anything from the whole counsel of God. He was someone who wanted to speak the truth, and he spake the truth in love. In 2 Corinthians, he writes this to the Corinthian church, and the Corinthians had a lot of things going on, <laughs> a lot of things that, that you probably wouldn't want to read to your kids at night about. And so, I mean, they they had some things that needed to be corrected. Was Paul just going to kind of let those things slide? No. He directly directly addressed them. And in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11, he wants them to know, oh, dear Corinthian friends, we have spoken honestly with you, and our hearts are open to you. When you have opportunity to speak truth, I think this is something to kind of consider. When I speak honestly, is my heart open to that person? Like, does my heart long? For their eternal salvation. Paul exemplified this in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15. He, he even um, encourages that amongst believers. He says, Then we will no longer be immature like children. Instead, we will speak the truth in what? In love. I love that. We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. This is key. Notice notice the connections that Paul is making. That when we're speaking the truth in love, what's the result? It's maturity. Yeah. It's growing in every way more and more like who? Like really good politicians? Who kind of gloss things over? No. We're growing more and more like Christ because we're speaking truth in love. And and the real the reality is that the abundance it's from the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks, right? So if our mouth is full of loving truth, guess guess what that is evidence that our hearts are full of? Loving truth, right? Speaking the truth in love, actually there's this connection that we're growing up, it's part and parcel that we're growing up in all things into the image of Christ, standing in the maturity and transformation of the gospel, no longer tossed to and fro as spiritual babies, as as it says elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 4. So the faithful life, what do we know about the faithful life? Well, one, we know that the faithful life is humble before God and accountable to God. But we also know that the faithful life speaks truth. The faithful life speaks truth, not for what it might get but for what we might give. That's the faithful life. The faithful life speaks truth not for what we might get, but for what we might give. Not for the advantages, the approval, the applause, but for others' repentance, for others' redemption, for their relationship with God to be restored. So in our faithfulness or growth in faithfulness, how is it with us? Simply, you know, as we're kind of bringing this to, to a close here, those two things, humble, humble before God and accountable to God, speaking truth, not for what we get, but for what we can give. How is it with us? <clears throat> I want us just to consider and reflect on this. On that first point, like just looking at the example of, of Nebuchadnezzar and, and Belshazzar, is there a path that God has clearly made plain before us? Are there things that you know that God wants you to do, but you haven't humbled yourself to actually walk that way? Remember, he's the God that holds your very breath and owns every path. This isn't about scaring you into obedience. This is about recognizing who God is. He's got the better perspective. He's got the bigger picture, and he definitely wants the best for you and me. So what are those things, those instructions, those counsels that God has actually already made known to you, given light to you in your experience that you've kind of ignored or kind of just kind of put in the backboard, and I'll get around to that when I, when I think about it? And it may not be on such a grand scale like ruling a kingdom, okay? <laughs> let's, let's, let's be real. It might just be as simple as some decision that, you, that God may want you to make tomorrow or something that God wants you to do for your family today or something that in your workplace, you know, God says, you know what, those interactions that you have, let, let's, let's color it a little bit differently, you know? I mean, what is it that you know that God wants you to do in your sphere, big or small, are there directives that remain unfulfilled that's the reflection question i want us to consider today and if there are things that remain unfulfilled i guess my simple appeal would be give god the green light today not to cut you down but to prune away your pride that keeps you from actually fulfilling those directives are there things that you know that god has actually said you know what That's not my ideal for you. And yet you persist in it. I know I'm not the only one. But friends, I tell you, when we actually allow God to prune away our pride, to humble us, um, where we live to glorify him who owns our very breath and every road that we take, that is the best life ever. You know, he doesn't give us these things that we can be straight-laced and rigid and just restricted in all our lives. No. In John 10.10, 10, he says, I have given you life, and life more abundantly. It's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. No, I'm not trying to destroy your life. I'm trying to give you the best life ever. So give God the green light to prune your pride, even if the incisions hurt. All right. How about the second thing, Daniel's example of faithfulness, where he, he speaks truth faithfully, not for what he might get, but for what he might give. And a reflection question I want to ask today is, is there a context? Is there a relationship? Is there a dynamic where you feel the need to speak truth? Is there something that, that you have the opportunity, the perspective to speak truth into, but you haven't because of your fear of the consequences? Or you haven't because your heart hasn't really been in the right place. You've been motivated by, by kind of sticking it to the person or sticking it to the, the situation or whatever the case might be. I want to give you permission today to reconsider how much you can give by speaking truth. How much can you give by speaking truth? Can you give repentance? Can you give opportunity for redemption? Can you give opportunity for a restored relationship with God? And maybe you just need to pray for the kind of love that would motivate you to give by speaking truth and not to to take by speaking truth. Let the love of Jesus navigate how you speak that truth with respect, with compassion, with genuine interest. Um, so these examples, I, I don't know, maybe these are stories that you're familiar with and stuff, but I, I, just, I encourage you today that if faithfulness is something that you strive for, and I think it's something that we all strive for, it's not like any of us wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm going to be unfaithful to God today. <laughs> I, I doubt, I doubt that that's what we pledge ourselves to and set ourselves to. I believe that in our heart of hearts, we long to live faithful to God, just like Daniel. And I think we all want to avoid the end of Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar. Friends, God is calling us to a life of faithfulness. And maybe for you, that faithfulness component in your life is humility and accountability. Maybe for you, that faithfulness is about speaking the truth out of love and not out of anything else. So whatever the case, um, I want to give you permission just to kind of process that together. Um, maybe turn to someone to your right or to your left, or just, you know, if you're not a collaborative thinker, you just want to process this on your own, I want to give you some time just to kind of say, okay, how does this land with me today? Is there a context where I need to speak truth? Is there an avenue that I have not been humble enough to walk through? Um, go ahead and talk it, talk it over. I'll give you a couple of minutes, and then we'll pray together over these things.